I don't know if any of you were like this as a kid. Anyone have a phase of life where they really enjoyed drawing? Uh, mine was very short-lived. I, my artistic capabilities don't go much past stick figures or uh, off-shaped objects. But <clears throat> right now, my two sons are really into drawing. Uh, and I'd love to say it's because of their mother's artistic genes or their father's, but that would be a lie. You see, the truth is, I got them both hooked on a basketball card addiction that they can't afford. So uh, they got in this habit of making pictures and then trying to sell them to us, and us being the suckers we are, and me wanting them to love basketball, uh, we, we gave in. Uh, and uh, I actually have some artwork from them today. Would you like to see it? Some great artwork from my two boys. Now, to the naked eye, you might not be able to tell 100% what's going on. Uh, they're both artistic. Uh, one's grounded a little more in reality, and one is into abstract art a little bit more. But this picture to me tells more than that. There's a story behind it. And recently, my father, myself, and my two boys got to take a little road trip down to Salt Lake City to go watch the Chicago Bulls take on the Utah Jazz. Now, inevitably, the Bulls lost. We're not going to focus on that. But uh, while there, we made a weekend out of it, and we just had a great time. And what makes this pic these pictures so special is it encompasses the whole weekend from the lens of a five- and seven-year-old boy. So I'm going to show you a little bit uh, what they drew. So in the top corner here, with my handy-dandy laser pointer, uh, we've got Ben and Jack swimming in the, in the pool that we stayed at in the hotel. Uh, this would be the card shop we stopped at to feed the habit. Uh, and this would be the all-you-can-eat cereal buffet. It was amazing. I, uh, I've always been a cereal connoisseur. And you see how excited I am now? You should imagine when I was in it. It was amazing. I had nine bowls of cereal that morning. And Ben had five bowls of cereal, which if you're doing a pound-for-pound pound thing... He killed me. He, he ate so much cereal. So anyways, there's a cereal right there. Uh, then we had lunch at Tacano's, for, 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 and that was amazing. They loved the bacon-wrapped chicken. And, of course, we got to get snacks at the game. We've got Dippin' Dots, and then there's the game itself. Now, let's go to the abstract art. So, once again, we've got Tacano's right there. That's a plate with food. Uh, we've got the usher from the game who wanted to see our cool bulls hats. We've got Dippin' Dots, which is really important. There's a theme. Snacks are really important with our kids. Uh, and then we've got a basketball. And we've got pizza, the pool, all sorts of fun wrapped up into this weekend. You see, this, these two pictures here don't mean much to you initially. But for me, they're special. They're meaningful. They tell a story. They elicit an emotional response to this trip that I went on with my boys and my dad. They tell a story. This morning, we're wrapping up a series that we've titled Pictures of the Gospel. And just like my boy's picture captures the whole weekend and, and, and tells a bigger story, the gospel also is shown through different pictures in the Bible. When we recognize those pictures... It helps us see it 
in a more personalized and emotive way. We tend to proclaim the gospel in a left-brain logical manner more than a right-brained emotive or creative manner. Because of this, we sometimes miss out on the emotive power and beauty of it. Jesus and his disciples used a variety of metaphors to paint a picture of the gospel. And this series, it has been our goal to help us see those. So we're going to be looking at a new picture of the gospel this morning. And uh, our, our passage is going to come from Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 through 17. And we've got Bill Hale as our reader today. So at this time, I'd like to ask if everyone could please stand up and face the center of the room. Here at TFRC, we have the tradition of standing and facing the middle to remind ourselves that the reading of God's word is to be focal to our lives. Bill, whenever you're ready, feel free to get started. Then John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he was still with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skin will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Thanks for reading, Bill. Uh, you may all be seated. In today's passage, the disciples of John the Baptist are asking why Jesus' disciples don't fast like themselves or like the Pharisees do. John the Baptist's disciples and the Pharisees regularly fasted, but they did so with different intentions. John the Baptist, uh, his disciples did it more from an authentic place of wanting to live out the law and from uh, in anticipation of the coming Messiah. But the Pharisees, they did it more for appearances, to look holy, to look spiritual. Now Jesus answers this question by painting three different pictures. So we're going to go ahead and take a look at those three pictures. The first, pictures, uh, first picture centers on the guests of the bridegroom. Verse 15 says, Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and then they will, they will fast. There are a few insights to consider that help us have a better understanding of what it is this picture is trying to communicate. The first is that John the Baptist considered himself to be somewhat of a best man to Jesus' bridegroom. In fact, in John 3.29, John the Baptist says this. He says, The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and now it is complete. Because John viewed himself this way, 
it would make sense that his disciples had heard this metaphor before and they might be able to attach that bridegroom with Jesus. The second insight is that in the Old Testament, the bridegroom was commonly a metaphor for God. And Jews would use the relationship with the bridegroom as uh, to communicate the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah, and that a new age had come. The third insight is that it was considered improper or inappropriate to mourn or to fast at the time of a wedding because it was a time of great joy, one where we should be celebrating. Altogether, Jesus is saying that as the bridegroom of the story, he is the Messiah. And because he represented the bridegroom, his disciples represented the guests of the bridegroom. And therefore, they should be filled with joy and celebrating and not need to fast right now. This picture is significant because on a deeper level, Jesus is communicating that the old ways of monotonous religious exercises and the traditionalism that defined traditional Judaism was changing to something new. He was inferring that it was the dawn of the messianic age. The old ways were becoming new. The second picture shown is that of an unshrunk cloth being sewn to an old garment. Verse 16 says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. This picture is a little more straightforward. The nature of an unshrunk cloth was that it would eventually shrink once it had been washed. Sewing it to an old garment meant that the patch wasn't going to be a good fit because inevitably once it was washed, it would shrink up and it would rip the garment even bigger. In this picture, the old garment represents the practice of traditional Judaism. And this patch represents faith and following Jesus. Because Jesus had painted the picture that he is the Messiah, he was hammering home the point that the way that fasting related to traditional Judaism was no longer going to be applicable to his people. However, I do think it's important that we note that Jesus was not against fasting. He was just trying to make the point that the old was changing to new. In verse 17, we see the third picture, and it revolves around new wine being poured into old wineskins. It says, neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Now, wineskins were containers that were made from the skin of a dead animal. Many times, goats were used. And something interesting about the process of making the wineskin was there was a chosen animal that was slaughtered and then was repurposed, renewed into this wineskin. 
And, and I found that interesting as I was studying because doesn't that sound a little bit like Jesus? A chosen person slaughtered and made new. Over the course of time and uh, use, these wineskins would start to become hard and brittle. And if new wine were, were to be put in them, the fermenting wine uh, would cause this brittle, hard uh, wineskin to start to crack. And it would break. And the wine would spill out and it would be ruined. And the wine's old wineskin would be ruined. In this metaphor... The new wine represents our faith in Jesus. And the old wineskin represents, once again, traditional Judaism. Jesus is once again emphasizing that the confines of this traditional Judaism were no longer going to contain what it looks like to have a solid faith in Jesus. It states that new wine needs new wineskin. Faith in Jesus requires us to live under a new parameter of living out our faith. Jesus uses three pictures to answer a question about fasting. But like many pictures or pieces of art, there's a deeper layer, a deeper level to this picture. There's a picture of the gospel. Together, these three pictures create a mosaic of the gospel. And through them, they show this common message that faith in Jesus makes the old new. And in each picture, Jesus emphasizes a different aspect of old coming to new. And the first picture shows us that faith in Jesus gives us a new reality. When we choose to follow him, it changes the expectations, the standards by which we live. Jesus' disciples didn't have to fast anymore because their reality was a new one. And our faith in him should do the same in our lives. In our case, it might look more like us not having to live up to the standards and expectations of our culture. Maybe we don't need success to be driven by how much money we make. We don't need our, our self-worth to come from social media status or how many followers we have. We don't need to feel this need to be perfect. Instead of living to the standards and traditions of our culture, we should be challenged and compelled to live by the standards the word of God teaches us, the teachings of Jesus. Our reality was we were bound by the law. We were bound by sin. And now we are bound by grace. That truth changes the reality of our lives. The second picture shows us that faith in Jesus gives us a new identity. The picture of the unshrunken cloth being compatible with old garments is telling us that we cannot just patch up our old ways of living. We cannot, uh, with, with Jesus. Faith in Jesus requires a renewal of our identity. We have to become new. When we choose to have faith in Jesus, 
We go from being slaves of sin and the law to becoming children of God and followers of Jesus. One identity is surrounded in inevitability of failure and the other with an abundance of grace. One of the common mistakes we can make with our faith is we try to sustain our old lifestyles and uh, just incorporate a little sprinkle of faith. But that's not the way it's supposed to work. We should really be wrapping our new lifestyle around our faith. On a side note, side note wrapping uh, our, our lives around our faith does not mean that we have to drop all of our passions, all the things we love. What it means is we might have to reevaluate the motives and the methods behind those things and put Christ at the center of it. Instead of our faith in Jesus filling in the gaps of our lives, we are called to make it the focal point. Everything else should come around that. We are to make our identity new and to make him the center of all we do. The third picture shows us that faith in Jesus creates a new way for us to live. When we choose to put our faith in him, we're called to live our lives in a different way, a new way. The old way we used to live is not meant to support this lifestyle that Jesus provides for us with our faith. Just like the picture in the wineskin story, if we try to pour our faith into a lifestyle that isn't conducive to our faith, the container is going to explode. It's going to crack. And we're going to be left with a mess. Our faith in Jesus needs to be poured into a new container, a new lifestyle, a new wineskin that's equipped to hold it. When I look back at my life, I, I see many times where I've tried to pour new wine into an old wineskin. Times where I had faith in Jesus, but the way I was living my life did not reflect that or did not uh, live itself out in that way. Uh, a moment in time that jumps out to me was my junior year in college. I was playing for a college basketball team and uh, I was a good guy. Uh, you know, I had a great girlfriend. Uh, she's in this room right now. Uh, I had a faith. And uh, I was definitely not living it out. I was out almost every weekend with my teammates getting drunk. I was talking about things in the locker room with the guys the way that guys talk about things in the locker room. I was prioritizing things that the culture was telling me I should prioritize. I was just trying to fit in. I wanted to practice my faith, but I just couldn't let go of the old. And inevitably, the wineskin cracked. I couldn't live that way anymore. It wasn't conducive to my faith, what I believed. 
I knew the way that I was living was not who I wanted to be. So I started attending a campus ministry. Now, if I'm being honest, not every week. Once in a while, I started attending this campus ministry. And slowly but surely, I started making a few friends who had a common faith that I had. And after making a few friends, we started having things to talk about and relate to about the faith. And slowly but surely, I began to live a lifestyle conducive to my faith. Now, there are times that I failed, and there's still times I fail. There were times, uh, but I continued, and God continues to work in me. And uh, tries to provide avenues for me to, to live that life that he's called me to live. Anyone here today who has decided to put their faith in Jesus is filled with new wine. You have new wine. But there are also going to be those times where we make poor choices and we pour that new wine into the old wine skin and it's going to crack. And it's going to make a mess. We're in need of renewal. We're broken. But isn't that the beauty of the gospel? Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we're saved by grace through faith. And we're able to be renewed all we have to do is ask for forgiveness, grab a new wineskin, start filling it up. In this passage, Jesus was addressing the question of fasting. But if we look a little deeper into the pictures, we'll also see that he was creating a mosaic of his gospel. We'll see that our faith in Jesus makes the old new. We'll see that it changes our reality. It changes our identity. And it changes the way that we live. I think it's fitting to wrap up this series today because we're celebrating another picture of the gospel. Today we get to come to the table and celebrate the sacrament of communion. We get to remember the pictures of Jesus' blood being shed for us. The picture of his body being broken and the unity that we all have through him. As we prepare to come to the table this morning, let us remember how thankful we are that Jesus makes the old new. And maybe do a little self-reflecting and see if there's something in your life right now that is of the old that needs to be made new. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and for what it can teach us. We're, we're so thankful for the different ways that you proclaim the gospel and that we can do it too. Uh, we, we ask that uh, we remember that you make the old new on a daily basis. Help us to live our lives in a way that changes our reality, changes our identity, and, and allows us to live in a new way. We love you, God, and we just ask that you will put your blessings on us as we go off into the to work week or school week this week and live that out.
We love you and it's in your name we pray. Amen. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.